Welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. Today we have Michaela White, and Michaela is the CEO for the International Network of Children's Ministries. Michaela oversees the ministry and provides guidance for initiatives that inspire and equip the children's ministry leadership community. So hi, and thank you for being here today, Michaela. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So would you mind explaining a little bit about what you do? What is the International Network of Children's Ministry? Yeah, um, INCM was was started about 40 years ago by some children's ministry leaders who got together and recognized that the discipleship of children is probably one of the most strategic and futuristic ministries of the church. And it requires a lot. And they decided it would probably be a lot better if they championed that ministry and all of their places together. If they shared resources and if they were able to share ideas and training with one another. And what really started as this organic like movement in generosity and sharing on behalf of the discipleship of kids and families grew into what's INCM now, which is really an association for the children's ministry leadership community that connects them to training, um, that connects them to resources and connects them to each other in really meaningful ways. So we do that through our membership and courses and certifications and curation of resources. And we also host an annual conference every January in Orlando, where the global children's ministry community comes together. And it's three days of breakouts and general sessions and a resource center that's like target for children's ministry. Um, And it's just an incredible environment for us to grow together and to um, really invest in what it looks like for us to be shepherds of kids and families. So I I feel really um, privileged and grateful to get to um, guide the team of INCM alongside our board of directors and champion any leader who is committed to the discipleship of kids and families. They are my heroes. So I love that. God's given me the privilege of dedicating my time and my life to serving them. Wow. That's really cool because you're non-denominational or you go across all denominations, right? Right. That's right. So it doesn't matter what church or what ministry they're involved with, they can come. Exactly. So do you do anything with curriculum? Do you offer curriculum? So we don't create curriculum, but we curate and we vet. Okay. Um, resources, which would include curriculum. So we have um, over a hundred partners who develop resources like curriculum or worship tools or missions and outreach or safety and security, like you name it, all of the things that are needed to be able to support a thriving children's ministry. We're um, actively working with all of those organizations and vetting them and making sure that our community has access to those. Okay. Sounds great. I know a lot of people who are involved in children's ministry and, um, mm-hmm. and I used to be, I love to teach and I, I would teach any age. And so 
I would often get involved in children's ministry when there was an opening, when somebody needed a teacher, that kind of yeah. thing. But um, since then, I've moved on to more adult kind of teaching, um, college age and on up. But mm-hmm. um, I still have lots of friends who are so passionate about children's ministry and who yeah. are so good at it, so gifted. So it's yeah. definitely a gifting in some in some ways. It absolutely is. I think I think they are some of the most remarkable leaders in our churches today. And they I mean, they are shaping we always say they're shaping the church of today and tomorrow at the exact same time. And that's quite yes. a responsibility. So it is. Um that's why that's why we're passionate about it, you know, coming alongside them and just supporting them in whatever way that we can because we really believe in what they're doing. Right. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. And and the reason you are here today is you have a background that is a little unique, but not not hugely. And I'm hearing mm-hmm. more about, um, you know, mixed marriages and stuff within the Jewish community. But mm-hmm. um, you have a mm-hmm. Jewish father and a, a Baptist or Christian mm-hmm. Gentile mother. And mm-hmm. um, that had its own mm-hmm. that played out in different ways, I'm sure for everybody, but it played out in your life in very specific yeah. ways. And, um, and those are one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you because um, some of your story, I think would uh, just be of interest to other people, but also help other people understand what it's like to grow up as a Jewish child, um, but also have the influences mm-hmm. of a, a I don't know. I don't want to sound offensive to anybody, but basically in a Christian or Gentile Mm -hmm. type of home as well and how all that played out in your life. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Well, I I think one of the things that when I look back on, you know, growing up in our home, I feel really thankful because my dad, um, my dad came to know Yeshua as the Messiah when he was, um, when he was in his twenties and he had to really navigate a lot of the challenges of what that meant for him in relationship to his family and his community, but also as this brand new believer in Yeshua. And there's just a lot, there's a lot of challenging things about that for a young Mm -hmm. Jewish man. And, um, and so I'm just, I'm really thankful for his, commitment Mm -hmm. to his faith and for all of the work he did to pioneer that for you know him and my mom and then of course us as uh, my my siblings and I um but yeah he met my mom and uh, they met on a blind date and she thought he was great he thought she was really really cute Um, but at the time, you know, he, he was not a believer and she grew up in a, um, a Baptist home in Colorado with parents who taught her to love the Jewish people and to have a great respect for the Jewish roots of her faith. And so, um, she really had, you know, admiration for my father, but expressed to him that, you know, it's we're just going to be really good friends. And, (laughs) um, and my dad's best friend growing up, who was also Jewish invited him to dinner one night. Yeah. 
what my dad didn't know is my mom was actively praying for God to bring another person into his life to tell him about Yeshua so that he was hearing echoes about that. So he sat down, you know, with his friend and his friend expressed to him, you know, that that he had found the Messiah and really challenged my dad to prove him wrong. And my dad, you know, spent time with the the Bible, with the with the fullness of the scriptures, with the Old Testament and New Testament together, and um, fell on his knees and confessed that Yeshua was in fact the Messiah. Long story short, he and my mom eventually got married. But the challenge, I think, you know, for him was there is a lot of misunderstanding, I think, in the church of what to do with a Jewish believer, right? Essentially, you know, when it comes to like how he experienced those early days, the way that the way that he has expressed it and I've understood it, it's a lot like having someone of a certain background, but like, let's say, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a Korean person comes to faith in Jesus and he, he would express his experience was like going to church and them saying, well, now, because you believe in Jesus, you're no longer Korean. And we know that that doesn't work. That's not true, right? And so his experience was now that you believe in Jesus, you're no longer Jewish. And on both sides. Right. On both sides. Yeah. So his his family was really challenged by his decision, obviously. And um, there was a, a break in relationship there for a season. Um, him marrying my mom was a big deal. Um, and, um, but eventually grandchildren start to enter the picture and, um, Jewish grandparents are Jewish grandparents <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and they want to be involved. And so there was a, a restoration of sorts, as long as there wasn't a lot of discussion about Jesus, which, mm-hmm. you know, my dad was okay with, cause he always said they're going to see him through us, they're going to see him, Mm -hmm. uh, whether they hear about him or not, they will see him. And he was not wrong. Um, There, there's a cool testimony about that at the end here. But one of the things that was really important in my father's discipleship journey, and our whole family was was ending up in a Messianic Jewish congregation. Um, which is essentially a congregation of Jewish and Gentile believers that are gathered together. Um, they search and see and teach from the scriptures from um, a biblical cultural Jewish lens. And there's uh, love for the holy days and the feasts, a respect for the biblical calendar. You know, there, the, there's a, a sorting through of what does it look like to continue following right. Jesus in the way of Jesus that the early disciples did, right? And so the Messianic um, congregation that we were part of, that was really important for for him and, and for our family as we, um, you know, grew in our, in our um, discipleship journey with Yeshua together. That that was formative for me. That's what I grew up in. I knew nothing different. It it 
I grew up with it making perfect sense, uh, seeing scripture through that lens and living in those rhythms and, you know, of Shabbat and the, the holy days. All of that was right. very normal for me. Um, my mom was a children's ministry leader for many years at that congregation. And um, and so that that was my spiritual formation was inside of that community. And then at about junior high, um, you know, there was a, a movement away in our family from that congregation. Sometimes I think there can be a significant emphasis on traditions over gospel. And I think that's what my dad was um, wrestling with. And so we left that congregation. It wasn't, it wasn't like a church split kind of thing. It was, it was just, a. um, my dad had great respect for the leadership there. And in, in that departure really to honor them. And so he's always spoken so highly of them and respectfully, but really felt like at that point we needed to seek something different. Um, but I do know that there was, for that period of time, my mom found a Baptist church, which is what she grew up in. We started visiting there. And that was culture shock for me. I <laughs> I felt like I was listening to a different language. The music was different. I bet. Um, the, the rhythms and patterns were different. Um, what seemed important was different. Everything, everything I felt, I think disoriented is really the right word. Um, and I don't know that, um, I don't know that I really expressed all of that to my parents at the time. I think they, they, I'm a youngest child, so I'm really adaptable. And I, so I think they felt like I was doing just fine. But in inside, I was, I was really trying to find North again. And one of the things right. that I really began to discover was that my way of seeing scripture and my rhythms, my, the, the mm. spiritual rhythms that I had patterned my life after were weird, were, you know, were not normal, were strange, were curious. And I, I started to realize that there is mm. quite a gap between what I grew up in and what I had found myself in then. And for the sake of being able to fit into this new environment, I just started to begin this process of really hiding my Jewishness and trying to figure out what it took to survive in this new environment. And I would ask certain questions and started to realize there was actually some passionate feelings from the pastoral staff, like our youth pastor, about some of the questions that I would ask. And so I think that was when I first started to realize that the Jewishness of Yeshua, the Jewishness of scripture, 
things like the feasts and festivals, a love of Shabbat, that, that there was tension there. And that was my first real encounter with realizing that that existed. And um, I remember being in my youth pastor's office um, as a teenager and him telling me that I had an unbiblical burden for the Jewish people and that that was something that I needed to get right with God on. And so, yeah, I just to kind of set the stage for what the rest of the journey looked like. I kind of went from this like really safe and like secure view of who I was as a Jewish woman and following Yeshua and what that looked like to now feeling like there might be something wrong with me. And so that, that was really the beginning of that tension. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Because, and, and for my journey, even into you know, discovering the Jewishness of Jesus. Um, I've been told similar things. It's like, you know, that's not biblical, right? You know, my seminary professor Tom said mm-hmm. that none of that is biblical. None of that is correct. And and it's hard because mm-hmm. when you become passionate about something, especially mm-hmm. that goes against maybe the overall church's view i'm not talking about individual churches but just the overall gentile view of who jesus is um one of the podcasts i did recently was um Mm -hmm. on did jesus start christianity and um you know and there was a little bit of i saw some questions you know they weren't directed at me but they were directed at my person who was the guest on the show um, and basically explaining Mm -hmm. to her that Mm -hmm. that was wrong. Yes, Jesus did start. And there's just misconceptions Mm -hmm. about scripture and bringing back that Mm -hmm. the Jewish Mm -hmm. roots of our faith. It's so important, so important and so Mm -hmm. mind blowing of the things that we don't know and don't understand because it's left out of basically the curriculum that our pastors go Mm -hmm. through it's it's left out of what they're taught and and one of the things that struck me from the last time that you and I talked privately was um the difference between how the children are treated and and raised in the Jewish in a messianic congregation and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. gentile church so could you Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit Mm -hmm. because it seems that's where your passions began right there. Yeah. I, and I think that's one of the reasons why I felt so confused Mm. and quite disoriented when we shifted church, you know, churches, um, is that in, in that the messianic congregation we grew up in, in that setting, um, and in, and I would say this is true of, of Jewish culture Mm -hmm. at large, there's an expectation that children are included in the the spiritual practices, conversations, training, teaching, all of it, you know, the rhythm of the community, that there's an inclusion. I also um, look at things like even how Passover, like a feast like Passover is designed, the Seder revolves around questions that kid, the kids ask. 
and um and right. it's and it's rich with thing sensory <laughs> you know things you know taste and smell yes. and song and movement like there there is i think such a high regard for what it means to get these truths inside of the next generation because there's a high responsibility felt to pass on that faith from one generation to the next which is tied into Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema which is the central you know prayer and directive of the Jewish people and so um that that was really woven into nearly every experience of of my growing up years and my spiritual mm-hmm. formation i i very much felt like i had the freedom to ask questions that i had the freedom to participate um that i was included and considered a part of that community and and not just there um so that was that was i think such an incredible gift and there also wasn't like this hiddenness to the kids either you know, being in a different part of the building and never participating in worship with the adults that was, that was always together. I'm thankful for that. But I think, I think there are some differences, um, obviously that I experienced when we started um, going to the Baptist church was much more kind of segregation of the ages, um, less room for questions. And then, yeah, the, the rhythms were different. And so I was, I was learning a completely different environment of what was, what was, what was okay for me to say, ask, do, (laughs) um, you know, how is it okay for me, you know, to, to participate here? I was, I was definitely having to discern that and just realize it was all very, very different. And I don't say that to be disparaging. It was, I'm, I'm really just wanting to communicate what it felt like to navigate those differences. And going from being a teenager, trying to fit into this new environment Mm -hmm. to really recognizing there's a problem with my Jewishness. I've got to, I've got to hide that I actually got really, really good Mm -hmm. at learning the language and the expectations and the protocol, like, and fitting, fitting the mold. I got really good at it. Yeah. I had a um, guest on my podcast also use the term was basically culturization. We, the church doesn't disciple anymore it trains you in the culture yes. of the church. Yes. I would say that was my experience. Yes. Right. So even depending on your denomination, you're going to be trained for that culture, that denominational culture and what it looks Absolutely. like and the questions that are appropriate and the thoughts. Um, and boy, that was very eye-opening mm-hmm. because I just, I was like, oh, that's true mm-hmm. though. That is so so true. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just convicted that the Lord, this has got to stop. Yeah. You know, we need more 
we need better training. We need, we need to look, go back to the Bible and look at what discipleship looks yeah. like in the Bible yeah. and, um, and do yeah. it that way. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, and talk, going back to talking about children and curriculum and being included in the service. Um, you know, I know that a bar mitzvah for a Jewish child, you know, they, they've learned the mm-hmm. Torah. They have memorized it. They have spent those first 12 mm-hmm. years of their life or 13, mm-hmm. I guess, but learning those books of the Bible that we call, mm-hmm. you know, the Torah. But, but the, I've had two women approach me about, is there a way we can write curriculum that's more Jewish based, more biblically based in teaching our children how to memorize scripture the way that they do it in the Jewish congregations. Mm -hmm. And boy, it got me thinking, like, what does that look like? And how does that play out? And I actually started doing some research of how they do Mm -hmm. train the children to memorize Mm -hmm. scripture and, and to learn all that they learn in those first 12 years. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite illustrations of that, my friend Christy McLellan talks about when she was um, observing a kindergarten class in Israel, the rabbis would come into that kindergarten class and put wax paper on the table and then pour a jar of honey out onto the wax paper and invite all of the little ones to come around the table and dip their little fingers in it and taste it. You know, what does it taste like? Oh, it's sweet. You know, it's sticky. Um, you know, it, delicious and they would encourage them like okay try it again you know and you know these kids have this honey you know dripping it you know on their chins and you know but they always come to this point of this is what it's like to feast on the Torah and it's sweet and it's good and it's for you and it's to be a part of you and Mm -hmm. I think that's like that invitation is what's important for us, you know, as we're talking to kids about the word of God is to remember that, that, that for ourselves, that it is true that we're to feast on it. It's to become a part of us. You know, I think about Ezekiel and it like, if you really think about it, how strange was it for God to say, eat the scroll, like eat the words. But that I, I really think that there's something powerful about this idea of, well, what you eat actually does become a part exactly. of you, right? Your body takes the nutrients from it and it reinforces your cells and helps you to build new ones. And, and if we are really feasting on the word of God, then it is in fact transforming us right? and changing us from the inside out. And in, and, and I think um, you know, when you think about um, rabbinical teaching, it revolves around the word halach or the halacha. It's the it's the way of walking, right? We're not just talking about God's word for the sake of talking about it. We're trying to get to the bottom of the way of walking. What does it look like for us to actually live this? And so if his word is, if we're feasting on it, it's becoming a part of us, it's transforming us from the inside out, then what does that look like in our way of walking? It's, 
it's all tied together. And I think that's, that's the goal whenever we're, whenever we're mm-hmm. gathering kids around the scriptures to invite them to feast, to let it become a part of them and transform their way of walking from the inside out. That's awesome. Cause that does make so much sense and teaching them from just such a young age. I mean, we, you know, I would say that almost every church I've been to, they want to teach the children all the Bible stories and get them, but, but it seemed to always be missing something. And that's Mm -hmm. missing the real excitement of that God's word is transforming us and that to teach them and help them understand that aspect of it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we grow up and we start getting less excited about scripture because, oh, now Mm -hmm. these aren't just little Bible stories anymore. It's getting harder to understand. And now this is a little convicting over here. And and um, and I don't like conviction and um, I want yeah. just the easy stuff, you know, but we mm-hmm. don't understand that, you know, the conviction conviction is meant to change us, to transform our mm-hmm. lives. Repentance mm-hmm. is all part of that. And mm-hmm. and it's and even suffering trials, suffering, mm-hmm. you know, tribulations in our life are meant to change us and strengthen us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um. And we just don't like that. You know, we don't like that. Mm-hmm. We just want the the stuff that tickles our ears, as scripture says. And um, and we're in a culture that that's more and more prevalent. And yeah. and our children, um, you know, it's sad to see that there are so many kids, like once they go to college, they never return to church because mm-hmm. it, it didn't meet any need that they had. Right. And uh, yeah, so we need to work on that. I think there's there's the combination of what's taught and how it's taught but also how their relationship with the community is developed and that's that's something that i i look back on and i'm so thankful that my relationship with the faith community was established so securely at the beginning because um I never felt like it was my parents' congregation. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I wasn't a part of that community, that it wasn't for me, that I had my own church, you know, that I went to and they did their thing. That relationship was really, and I still remember walking in and, you know, Mrs. Weber having candy in her purse for me. And Mr. Kirchberg always asking me about my week and, you know, Mm -hmm. Debbie offering to let me, you know, play with the tambourine, you know, like there, and, and all of these people were regular parts of my life. And, Mm -hmm. and so there is a, there is a real importance that I think we can lose sight of when it comes to the discipleship of children of not only what it looks like to invest in their relationship with Yeshua, but also recognizing that that relationship with Yeshua also involves a relationship with his whole family and, and your part in that family and your responsibility to that family and their responsibility to you. And um, we have quite an individualistic view in the Western world, whereas in the Eastern perspective, the community is primary. Right. Absolutely. I agree with that. When my children were young, 
um, the church that we went to was a Nazarene church. And we went there from probably from the time they were three until the time that they were 13 or so. Um, so we were there for 10 years and it was the same thing that you described. I mean, my children would walk in, everyone would talk to them. The oldest people there, the the people who had their own grandchildren, um, my children came to love and adore these older senior Mm -hmm. citizens, you know, Mm -hmm. and then the other moms and the other dads, Mm -hmm. um, it was a family and it still is. Mm-hmm. This church is multiple generations. You've got grandparents mm-hmm. and grandchildren all going to the same church and they're, and they've all been going yep. to the same church for all their lives. And so um, it's very much a family. And then in their teen years, we, we left and went to a different church that we felt the Lord was calling us to. Um, and my children never felt like they fit in. Yeah. It's like after that point, they just yep. didn't feel feel like they fit in. Yeah. And they were always struggling to find their place in that church yeah. and to feel accepted. And I hate to say that. It's it's just a different, it was just in a different environment. Yep. And it was just different. Yeah. And it was sad. And and now that they're my children are all in their twenties, you know, now they're they're kind of finding their own way. They're finding um where they fit in and they're more mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm they try, they're not relying on my husband and I to help them find a place to fit in. They are looking, they're actively participating in that. So it's encouraging to me to see them do, but, Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. it was difficult that, that change in just leaving one church, you know, I never realized how it would affect our children. So I don't regret it in that, in that because there was a needed mm-hmm. change that the Lord was directing us to. But I do regret that they didn't experience that whole family atmosphere like they had in their first mm-hmm. 10 years of, you know, being at the mm-hmm. other church. But, but yeah, it's hard. And sometimes we don't understand, yeah. but yeah. the Lord is in control and he will work it all out. So I think that's so true. There, there is, I think there's purpose to the journey that sometimes we don't see in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's true of, that's true of my story. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went on to a Christian college. I had a crisis of faith there um, and almost walked away from my faith entirely at that point. Um, I couldn't reconcile what I was seeing with scripture. I couldn't reconcile what I was experiencing with what I thought was true of, of, you know, the Bible and, um, was ready to kind of throw it all, throw it all out, but God doesn't let you go. Right. (laughs) And I realized that, and I think this was just an important realization as a, as a young woman trying to make sense of what she was seeing and experiencing that the church and specifically the community that I was in, though I think they were attempting to do the best they could, that um, sometimes we make it all about us and what we think it is. And, you know, hypocrisy is a real thing, Mm -hmm. but I love the way that God can 
take us on a journey and show us more of who he is and also help us develop more compassion for his people along the way. And I think that that's what he was doing in my life is even though it was hurtful and painful and really challenging to see the things that I was seeing, um, he really gave me a commitment to his family to figure out like, what does this, what does this need to look like? Where do I need to go? I think um, one of the big pieces of my story in returning to a a journey with him that led towards like thriving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen and I, my husband and I, um, we started attending a non-denominational church, you know, was really so thankful for people that we got to know there and for you know, the safety it kind of gave us to recover from some things. But then that church exploded and we ended up going to a really small church. And it was there that he and I began to have these conversations about, you know, we're raising two Jewish boys. <laughs> you know, we at that point we had kids. And what, is, what does that mean? And then at the same time, I had a mentor of mine who was basically expressing to me, um, you can't really love and shepherd Mm -hmm. people if they don't know who you are. And I told her, I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm genuine. Mm -hmm. I'm like, they know who I am. I'm not hiding anything. And she goes, oh, yes, you are. She said, you've gotten really good at being Hadassah or you've gotten really good at being Esther. And I was like, and I just flat out told her, I was like, no, no, mm mm-mm. And and she's like, I am telling you that until um, you are truly who you are, there will always be a veil, veil between you and the people that you're serving. Because they didn't know you were Jewish. Right. And that was something that I had just decided nobody needs to know. It's not important. It's too painful. It's, it, you know... It, freaks people out, you know, like all of the, all of the things. And here she was calling me out saying, yeah, it's great. You've done such a good job at being Esther and finding your way around the palace and learning the language and Mm. keeping that part of your identity hidden, but it does not change who you are. And, and perhaps, and perhaps there's a purpose to Mm. your time in the Gentile church, mm-hmm. you know, as she and I processed it through, there was a lot about like, you know, I have, I've, I've learned their language. I've learned their culture. I've learned what's important to them. I've learned um, how they see things and what they prioritize. And, and she was, she was really leaning into an area that I was just very happy to have, be just for me. And so that really started a journey with me and God of what does it look like to actually say my name, you know, and, and let it be known that this is actually who I am. This is actually how I see scripture. This is actually how I was formed. These are actually the rhythms that I keep. And so little by little, I started to kind of come out of my mask, essentially my turtle shell 
and share that with people. And what I started to realize was that Mm -hmm. I had a lot of Gentile brothers and sisters that when I would share some of the things, um, perspectives on pieces of scripture or, or, you know, what, what it looks like to see scripture from a Jewish lens, I would have Gentile brothers and sisters come to me and say, I always felt like there was more. I've grown up in this my whole life, but I feel like I'm starving a little bit because I think there's more. And can we talk more about this? And that was when the Lord kind of, when I feel like scales fell from my eyes a little bit of realizing that, that I think there's been a little bit of a theft from my brothers and sisters from the nations. um, So that's all Gentile means is from the nations that, that there has been a, a robbing of the richness of their spiritual heritage. And that by me kind of keeping all of that to myself, that I was hoarding something that also belonged to them and felt just an overwhelming conviction of and compassion for my extended family of recognizing that um, there's a hunger and there's a desire for more Mm -hmm. and there's pieces that feel like they're not connected and pieces that feel like they're missing. And I think that when I'm sitting in conversations with them and sharing with them, like, no, you get to sit at the Passover table too, and you get to experience this too. You get to see how Yeshua is the Passover lamb too, like this, like, and how, like, this is, this is what was happening in communion and all of that time together and seeing them realize he's so much better than they thought he was, that scripture makes way more sense than, than, you know, they've ever experienced that there's just richness, um, that they had never had set before them before it it's an encouragement to me and um continually gives me the courage i need to kind of get beyond that girl who felt like she needed to hide in order to protect herself from all of the you know weird looks and the anti-semitism and all of that because there are brothers and sisters who are looking for more And so I really feel um, that God led me on that winding journey to be able Mm -hmm. to be a bridge for um, Jewish and Gentile believers, for there to be a restoration and a connection for the good Mm -hmm. of both sides, um, because we're supposed to be one. And I really want to see my Gentile brothers and sisters experience the richness that is theirs in their spiritual heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what motivates me to just keep pushing and keep, you know, coming out of that turtle shell and living, um, li- living with them in a way that invites them to more. That's awesome. I mean, 
I'm so glad you said all of that because it's, it's what people need to hear and what um, the church needs to hear. Because when I I've taught some classes on the Jewishness of the gospels and I had um, one family tell me, cause I, we just went and we just met together, the four of us, my husband and the, the other couple. And during it, she just said, I'm so mad. And I'm like, what are you mad about? And she goes, mm-hmm. why have mm-hmm. I never been hurt? Why have I never heard this? This is yeah. Why hasn't anyone said anything? Yeah. yeah I've heard that because too. I feel cheated in not have known these things about scripture mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. the gospels and why Jesus said what mm-hmm. he said and yes. Hebrew yes. idioms and what he really yes. meant when he said something, Absolutely. And how his listeners knew but it gets lost in translation for us. And then yeah. we have this long history of this is how we've always explained this. <laughs> you right. Know, this is how it's always been taught. And don't, yeah. don't tread on that. Don't shake it up. And um, yeah, I mean, and you have just as many people who will reject it and say, no, this is what I've always learned. And Absolutely. Stay Absolutely. right there and I'm fine. And, and that's, mm-hmm. That's okay too. I mean, I don't push anybody. I don't push anything. I I understand or learn on anybody, but those who like you, who want to know it and who come to me regularly and ask Mm -hmm. questions, it's like, oh yeah, I'll tell you whatever I know. And if I don't know it, I'm going to go look for the answer or find it somewhere. Um, Because I think there is a hunger for Mm -hmm. the real truth and not just tradition, tradition of another kind. It's tradition yeah. of another country, another people, but it's mm-hmm. it's truth that we've not experienced in our right. lives, and right. um, and I think it's important. And and I I hate to even cut this off, but we're we're getting uh, we're getting near the end, and I don't want to keep you any longer. But this has been awesome, and it's just you you have such a great way of explaining things, and um, and I appreciate that, and so. Maybe we can talk. You're expecting a baby anytime soon. And uh, yes. sometime after this new little boy comes, we can have another conversation about Absolutely. some deeper things with Feast and, yeah, and all of those. Too. So I'm excited to talk to you again. And I enjoyed this with you so much. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at graftedjewishrt. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.